Pastor Elise is going to bring the good word this morning out of Luke chapter 19, and I want to read the text to us this morning. I'm going to ask us to stand together as we read the scripture. Sometimes when we stand, we can hear things just a little bit different. Listen to these words from the gospel of Luke. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Amen. You may be seated. Well, perhaps our new dog friend, Scrappy, has introduced some of you to a new vernacular as he has with me. He often says that he is sucker punched by the Holy Spirit. Well, Scrappy, this scripture passage this week had that effect on me. Many a times I have read this scripture and never before have I been so convicted and overwhelmed by the passage. Overwhelmed to the point that I said to my husband, Ben, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. Don't worry, I am. At least I'm trying to be a follower of Christ. But the word continues to remind me I have a lot of areas for improvement. I was so struck by how Zacchaeus drops out of that tree, receives Christ's invitation, and immediately changes his ways. Just like that. The thing that kept him from serving God his money and status, in a moment he is disarmed by them and can clearly see that when he has Jesus, he has enough. And here's the deal, though. We don't hear about Zacchaeus again. This doesn't really mean much, except we don't get to see how the rest of his life unfolds. Does he slip back into old ways at some point? Does he find himself challenged by a different idol and stray from the path of Christ? We don't know. What I do know, though, is the things that hindered me in following Christ 20 years ago are not the same things that hinder me today. When I first became a believer, I didn't think I was worthy enough for God to love me. But today, perhaps sometimes I think I'm too worthy. I can be hindered by a false notion of security, from money to retirement accounts to owning a house. And the cost of discipleship weighs heavily on me. As I think, is it worth what I may lose to follow Christ? I am jealous of people around me 
and I can easily want to believe in the prosperity gospel. But then I actually read the gospels, and they constantly debunk that lie. The gospel of Luke gets right to the heart of the matter, of the ministry of what Jesus is about. We see the lowly exalted in the opening chapters of Luke when he takes Mary, the mother of Jesus, this teenage girl, and he makes her the mother of his one and only son. And then Jesus humbles the exalted. The religious leaders of the day hated Jesus because he was constantly making them look bad. He was asking the challenging questions about the rules that they blindly bind themselves to. Which is more lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? Just before our passage in this morning's reading, we hear from the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18, verse 18. He says to Jesus, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He tells Jesus that he has kept all the commandments since he was a boy. So to me, it is interesting that he would come to Jesus and ask the question, what should I do to inherit eternal life? For if he was the one who was actually following all these rules, the Pharisees would have thought, you've already got it. You've been doing good. I believe this man knew he didn't have a relationship with God. He just knew how to follow rules. Because when it came to selling everything he had and following Jesus, giving up the idol of money, which this man served, he could not do it. With this, Jesus responds, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich to get into the kingdom of God. At this point, I think we need to stop for a moment and ask that question. What is the kingdom of God? My immediate answer is typically heaven. But I've learned that that is only part of the answer. And perhaps it's only a small part at best. For in Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is in your midst. Christ is the kingdom of God. And if we really believe in the Holy Spirit the spirit at, God, at work in Jesus' followers, then the kingdom of God is in our midst. So then we have to ask the question, what does the kingdom of God look like? How do we know it when we see it? And the Gospel of Luke spells it out for us in chapter 4 as Pastor John continues to pull us back into it. The kingdom of God proclaims good news to the poor. It proclaims freedom to the prisoners. It recovers sight for the blind. It sets the oppressed free. And it proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. So then we have to ask the question, do we do this, church? Do you do this in your own life? I read the chapters leading up to our passage this day, and I was struck by how many times 
I would let up to Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. And all over the place, the Pharisees and the disciples are trying to keep people away from Jesus that they don't think are worthy of his time. It's the women, the children, the physically handicapped. It's the sinners. Usually we read the disciples and the Pharisees are rebuking these people for even thinking that Jesus would come near. But then what do we see? We see Jesus reaching out, removing the barrier of those closest to him and caring for those who are calling out for him to help. So today, I have felt called to bring up something that's gonna make many of us feel very uncomfortable. And I know because it makes me feel very uncomfortable. And you might start to feel defensive, but I need you to hear me in this. Because I've realized in my own life when I get defensive, it's oftentimes because I am justifying a sin and I don't wanna have to do the hard work of having to change. We, as Christians, metaphorically walk with Jesus every day, or at least we strive to. We have been nurtured by the Word of God and privileged to know God in ways many people never have. So when we look on in disgust at those living in tents, when we turn our gaze away from the person on the streets clearly struggling, then we make the same proclamation that the Pharisees and some of the disciples did when they were with Jesus. These people don't deserve the kingdom of God. For as Christ dwells within you, the kingdom of God is in our midst. We see it in Zacchaeus. Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, and upon the invitation, he drops out of that tree and gives away half of what he owns, and then makes right all the wrong he had done in business. That's the kingdom of God, a changed man who can now see the disparity between the rich and the poor, a man willing to forsake a luxurious lifestyle so that someone else may have their basic needs in life met. I've been alive for nearly four decades, and I have never met a person who has referred to themselves as rich, except for a child. Those are the truth tellers, and that's why I like being their pastor. I think we oftentimes keep that label reserved for the other because it's convicting to us as Christians, especially when we read Luke's gospel. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Disciplines, he challenges this notion. He said, as a society, we celebrate the poor person who through hard work has become wealthy, but we do not encourage the rich to voluntarily take on poverty for the sake of another. But it's exactly what our God did, 
right? How do you know when you have too much money? This is a question I constantly ask myself. What desires are good? And what is hindering me from following Jesus more closely? Where are the areas I get defensive about in my own life when the Holy Spirit gently starts to reveal it to me? For the rich ruler, he needed to sell it all in order to remove the idol of money from his life. For Zacchaeus, it was half of his belongings. For you, it may not be money at all that is your idol. Perhaps it's security or status, physical appearance, age, relationship, intelligence. The philosopher Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Sometimes we Christians can live as if we've arrived. The hard work of Jesus is done. We follow the rules as the young ruler did. We assume our salvation is secure, and we live unto ourselves with not a lot of thought about the cost of discipleship. If there is one thing I have learned on my journey, it's salvation is a daily process. I'd say the hard work in following Jesus begins when we accept him. We continually have to die to ourselves each and every day. We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to take up this cross and follow in the path of Christ? We have to look and see what are the roadblocks, the idols that I have created that are keeping me from fully following Christ. St. Augustine once said, he who has everything and Jesus has no more than he who has Jesus alone. Do we really believe that? And here's the thing, church. When Jesus tells the crowd, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, the people respond, who then can be saved? And Jesus answers, what is impossible with man is possible with God. This is our hope. We are facing a homeless crisis that feels impossible. But we know all things are possible with God. We see firsthand a man who can drop out of a tree and in a moment his priorities are aligned with the kingdom of God. This, too, can be true for us. Are you bold enough to pray that prayer? You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Are you bold enough to confess to Jesus the sins that keep you from fully living into that calling? Are you willing to lay down your defenses and surrender your whole life to Christ? Because when you do, Jesus promises you life and life in the full. It isn't what this world prescribed. 
because that's only going to leave you empty. It's significantly better. It's the kingdom of God in our midst. Praise be to a God who can make the impossible possible. Amen. Blessings like God's love are not one-way experiences. As you have been blessed with the mark of God's love, you are now called out of this place to bless others. May the God who created you create opportunities for you to serve others. May the Christ who teaches you teach you during Lent how to love all. And may the spirit of gentleness be your companion along this Lenten journey. Go in peace. Amen.